Several years ago, Oceana Wilson, Director of Library and Information Services at Bennington, created a CrossFit Library Flickr page. It has since attracted more than 2 million views, visitors who are drawn to CrossFit's celebration of books as objects. One of the most popular albums is also a favorite of Wilson's, Judge a Book by Its Cover. It is there that she has shared hundreds of stunning book covers found in CrossFit's stacks. We spoke with Wilson about the designs that inspire her, the philosophy of collecting, and what it means to direct a library that is engaged in a continual dialogue with its patrons. There's some covers where you just get the sense, you're like, there is no other cover for this book. This is the cover for this book. What Done. Done. <laughs> do you have one book that comes to mind that when you, when you mention that? Do you have a book? Yeah, I do. I think it's actually... Um, I think this uh, Lawrence Raskin treatment of um, Snow White is, is probably, there's no better cover. I think this is perfect. It's, it's published in 1967. It's a very contemporary treatment of, of Snow White. It's, um, it's set modern. And it, it, like, what, do you, what do you do with that? What do you do with something like Snow White? I mean, Disney's you know, kind of ruined it for everyone. It started out as you know, the very grim and then dark, and then it got Disneyfied, and then you're stuck with this um, very 60s radical treatment, sexualized treatment of a Snow White in the modern time period. So what he did in this cover was actually picked um, quotes describing the features and then kind of coiled her hair around so it's sort of a suggestion of it and this is actually one of our, our most popular so I don't I don't know if people are looking for Snow White and come across this and are confused or if people are re you know sort of reposting this or looking at it again because it resonates with with them as well um, but this is one of the book covers that's been viewed more than 10,000 times and, and I think it's just a perfection of matching the story without revealing the story or being so literal. But it's just a fantastic design. The dwarves um, wash windows and skyscrapers and Snow White like finds herself through like, a psychotherapist and you know there's a there's it, it's a there's sexual content and sort of um, experimental writing so it's Oh, so that really does match. It, it's a it's a really good match for the content, and it's just a gorgeous design. So this is this is a cover he did for Perry Miller, who's a Harvard um, American historian and intellectual. And these he did two covers that we have in our collection for works edited by him. And I thought they were so interesting in in that they were very different from what I imagined a lot of Edward Gorey images to be. So this is, I, I mean, sort of a representation, or it might literally be the Harvard Quad, the bare trees, and uh, quietness. And then the other one he did in the series that we have is the American Puritans. And this is such an interesting choice of, of design, I think. It has very much the linear, gory sort of brush and bramble, but then this sort of quiet, bare New England, you can almost picture the starkness of November, February, and then he chose this, this pink sky that dominates most of the cover, and this very red sun. It's such an interesting choice for, I mean, when you think about, you know, a book cover design for the American Puritans, their <laughs> prose and poetry, I think he really took the, the, this, this pale salmon as the, their prose and poetry and gave it, gave it a little bit more life than, than 
thinking beyond what we stereotypically associate with that. Mm. This is my, so this is my favorite, one of my favorites. It's really hard to classify, but it's so quiet. Um, and that's one of the things that strikes me because a lot of the designs I really like are loud and bold. This is 1935, and it's, it, there's no name designer, so I have no idea who designed this book, which is sort of heartbreaking. Um, but I just think it's so beautiful and elegant in the treatment of the typography and the river and the colors, the three colors, the, the sort of pale gold. Well, it's kind of like a burnished gold. And then the turquoise lines. So very quiet, but somehow perfect in its simplicity. And I can't imagine a different cover for that book. I think that's the other great thing of like, you know, it's, which is kind of fun going back to the, the redesigned classics, is it must be so hard to, to go back and rework, but such a great challenge at the same time. And they're redoing, I mean, that's one of the interesting things is Penguin, um, you know, and a couple, a couple of the big publishers are redoing classic works and they're doing them with really interesting treatments. So it's um, the Penguin Modern, it's, I think it's yeah. called the Modern Editions. But they're great, they're getting people like Chris Ware to do, you know, it makes perfect sense. Um, so I think people are still interested in, 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 the, in the idea are of you, um, book design. And maybe it's more, maybe publishers are also realizing that, you know, with the rise of ebooks and the advent of Kindles, like what would compel you to particularly buy it? I think part of it has to be the appeal in your hand, on the shelf, the visual object of the book. In thinking through this process and the questions you asked and putting together this group of images, um, I was also thinking another another one of my favorite books is so underwhelming that uh, people are often surprised um, with this copy of, of Beowulf. And, and it's, it's cheating a little bit because it's not just the cover that makes this one of my favorites, it's the entire object. So um, difficult to photo, it, it, it's a little bit more matte than it appears in this photo. So it's, this, this looks a little bit shiny. So it's, very, it's a very soft black Unblack <laughs> treatment. The boards are incredibly thin, and the paper is sort of a faded yellow and very soft. So when you hold it in your hand, it has this almost this little bit of give or squish to it that's so satisfying and so inviting. You can kind of see even in the corner, um, the boards are so thin and tapered down here that it's it's. It's been worn away just a little in the corner. And then it has this book plate, which is Ben Bella, Bennington faculty member, beloved. So it was his his copy. What a great book plate. Isn't that a great book plate? Perfect for that book plate. I know, right. It's what it's a just pair. Yeah. yeah. I see what you mean about the object of it. And then in and then it's actually in in the text, the old English with his um, notations is just but so it's the whole experience of this book makes it one of my my favorites um, to see the pen and and so you can see some of his translation notes and um, Beowulf is still speaking underlined so that's it's it's the ownership and the history and the wearing but then also the very understated subtle quiet quality of that cover so it's, there's something about that that makes the entire perfect. book perfect. Yeah. This is a woman designer, Ellen Raskin. I love her colors. I, I love her palette. 
um, her designs. I think I think it's her palette that I'm most attracted to, and then she, the very the, that she's very much an illustrator, mm -hmm. and that she does the drawings. I mean, look at look at this one. It's just mm -hmm. stunning. Mm -hmm. Those purples and red. This is another very popular one, and I'm not sure. You yeah. know, it's hard to know why why people are gravitating, but I think this is the design. Mm -hmm. I think in this case, it's the design that has made this such a popular image. This was donated to us recently, so um, and going through the donation, I found because a lot of times if we have a book that's this old, the cover is no longer. So a lot of the ones we get with good covers have come in as gifts because you know in people's houses they tend to have the covers. Um, interesting that um, Lawrence Raskin's son actually called me up out of the blue and um, just said, "Hey, you have a lot of my dad's." work up on Flickr, and I thought, oh no, we're in trouble. <laughs> um, but he was actually thrilled. I was kind of trying to find out why that was the case, and, and we had a long talk, and he said, I, you know, I have this whole archive of all his work, and it's really great that somebody's, you know, interested in it again, and we talked a lot about where he could maybe place those, those papers for longevity. He had, he had uh, I think, every drawing and sketch of his father's. And so then it's where can you place it where they already have strong holdings in this so other scholars are going to be able to see it. Part of finding a good match is what collections that archive, first of all if there's a personal connection to an archive that's always a logical fit. For some donors the fact that they are an open collection and they will be used and opened by students and seen is appealing. It doesn't mean every donation's a good fit for us. Certainly if you want something, for, if you have a pristine, you know, um, collection of first edition dust jackets, that's probably, doesn't make a lot of sense here um, because of the value and because of the fact that the point is to sort of keep them in that intact state. But for things like that, I, I, I think that is. So just, I mean, when people donate, their collections, it's off, often like decades of their life that they've spent building this and they want it to go somewhere where they feel like people are gonna celebrate it and appreciate it and enjoy it. So I hope, I hope that's, that's something people feel. When they, and I, th I think that has been the case. Libraries have different collection missions. Ours is, is truly to be used and to be relevant to the students and faculty, the community, um, and to be celebrated and, and make se be a reflection of the communities. That's, that's really our goal for the collection. Mm. What makes books valuable to collectors is whether they're particularly interested in it or if it's um, most often in book collecting, you, you want the pristine copy. So mm. to the point if somebody, you know, opened the dust jacket and clipped out the price on the corner, that's considered a clipped copy and it will be less valuable. So the whole thing about libraries is they get them for use, we put all these stickers on them, you know, we, we, we muck them all up. Um, but the beauty of that is they're just there for people to see. Nobody's going to steal this book because they love it and, and want to sell it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that it's like a, there's almost a, um, 
public art quality mm -hmm. about that? Yeah, there is. There is something. There is something to that. On one hand. I always feel a little guilty when we're sticking all the stuff on that we have to stick onto it because it's really not the original intention. But then also that can become kind of interesting over time. Um, it's sort of another aspect of the book uh -huh. as an object and its history. I mean, there's a school of thought in books that as soon as you you know make one pencil mark in it, that becomes the history of that book and it's a different object. This is another designer I, I really like, Roy Coleman. Um, worked for Grove. Grove was another, like Vintage, a very innovative publisher at the time, and they paid money to have their books be well designed. Um, I think with his work, the palette is is huge, and it became after after a certain point, um, I would just start seeing, and if I could see the certain the purples or the oranges, I would. It's his work becomes pretty easy to identify, but always surprising. It's not similar, but it's recognizable. So a couple of his works. Uh, this is this is also very cool, and yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and is that yellow? Is that off white um, from age, or is that yeah, that that would have been. This would have been a really probably beautiful white, white, bright white. So it's yeah, it's yellowed from age. Do you think that adds to it? Um, you know, there's a part of me that really just wants to adjust the, you know, to adjust the photo so it looks really white again, the way the designer intended it. But at, in terms of it as, as a object with its integrity and history, um, I know that the off white is good. Mm -hmm. But there's something about me that always wants to see what it looked like, what what the designer intended the color to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get beyond that and yeah. be like, it's interesting because it's aged in this way. So it's just wonderful when somebody can change. Well, I always consider it a defect and like, oh, it's so awful. This cover would have been so nice, but the spine got all faded. And then someone sees the beauty in it and the potential of what that, what that means. That's funny to hear you say that because I didn't, I would not expect that from you. Not expect. No, you have such a, um, uh, uh, I'm not going to come up with the right word, but you have such an open collection mm -hmm. policy. You have, to me, which is totally radical and innovative, where it's more about the use and the finding of and the access to this right. very public art right. way of collecting in, in many ways. And in that, there is, um, I, I expected you to be like, yeah, isn't that a beautiful faded? I, it took me, it took, really took me somebody else. I do have, I can, there are things I appreciate in that realm. We have, a, we have an album called Augmentations, and it's basically things that people have done to books. So um, one is this, someone on the top of the book must have sort of squeezed it tight and drew this beautiful, like in a little red Sharpie, drew this beautiful owl on it, you know, students sitting at the desk. Or, or we have an old, um, you know, ballet book that is black when you flip through, and then one, just one of the dancers is colored in. That was, that was fascinating. I always see the beauty of that, but it, it took really seeing it through someone else's eyes to, to appreciate the sun-faded spine. I was always like, oh, they should have designed the windows differently <laughs> so the sun didn't get to them. <laughs> 
I wonder if, the, do you think that plays into design now? Now that there's been um, enough um, aging of enough books that designers have seen this happen, do you think it impacts the way that they Oh yeah, that's not, that's not new. I mean, certainly sunlight in libraries has always been a big design consideration, I think, for, for a very long time. Um, it's 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 such a it's such a funny catch twenty two speaking of Joseph Heller in a way because you know the readers need the light and the books really do better without the light so that's why a lot of libraries you'll see all the seating around the windows and the stacks in you know even upstairs and across it you'll see the way the stacks are designed is not turned out towards the windows. You know, which is so funny because I always want them to see the light, but now I understand why. Yeah. I think a lot of libraries are mixed open and closed stacks, and part of that is the mission of the library. Is it preservation? Are, are you trying to preserve this this copy, and, and that's the custodianship you've taken on? And that's a serious obligation, um, and certainly, but not one that CrossFit needs to have. That's not the mission of a small liberal arts college um, in that same sense. So we are, we do have the privilege of having the open stacks and being able to encourage that. We, we do have some things that we keep um, by request, but it's a small number. Uh, and I, I, I think that's, a, that's often something that you hear a lot with both um, closed shelves for preservation, which is, a, which is an easier argument, but often um, the lamenting of as libraries are being redesigned and spaces, remote storage mm -hmm. is losing that ability to really wander through those stacks and, and have those serendipitous discoveries. And uh, you do lose something in that. It's hard though, it's hard not to want it to be the new thing when you're making something new, right. to have it be new and, and, the, and the perfect. Right. So there's Something about the way that you're—it's not just something; it's the many things that you're. There, there's like many arms of the way that you're uh, leveraging the mission and the space and the people and the like. You use the library in a way to dialogue with the patrons. I'm so glad you said the word dialogue because that's what I think. It's I. It's not anything I'm doing, it's a conversation that the community's having. And everyone adds to that in a different way. The librarian that reads everything, Jared's, you know, that's a piece of the conversation. And, you know, Kathy talking back and forth with a student that's trying to request a really obscure ILL item and how they're going to get it. That's a conversation. And um, students that want a different type of seating and chair, those are all all part of the conversations, the, the things that get left on the blackboard after the class. It's just all part of that. And so I think, I think the success is the CrossFit staff is so interested in having those conversations and so attuned to it and really want the students to be conversant in the excitement we feel and the joy of the space that I, ideally what we hope is that's what's being celebrated and that's the feeling they have coming through. To view the entire collection of book covers on the CrossFit Library Flickr page, visit tiny.cc forward slash book covers.